Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 baby, hey, baby, hey. It's me, Mark, the bellhop, taking you to the very top of the Cobra Casino in Talking Joe, the leading dedicated Geo Joe Comics Casino podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, that being talkingjoe.co.uk. Today we'll be looking at the latest issue, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue 295, released on the 13th of July, 2022. It is the fifth part of High Stakes. And joining me as always... It's a real Mongolian warlord. It's Genghis Tim. How are you, Tim? <laughs> hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. Uh, I I am I am well and slowly resuscitating in a vertical tank after my uh, DNA matrix has been re-uploaded to my brainwave scanner. Excellent. I was wondering what that green glow was. I thought we'd pick up with some any other business from last episode and us getting confused about Dawn and Jinx specifically. And even when we weren't confused who we were, just mixing up their their names. I noticed on the playback as I was editing that, that I did it as, as well. So uh, we are both uh, guilty of, of that. Um, did you not um, record yourself several days later just saying each name <laughs> and then you could patch it in awkwardly? So... Mark, it would sound like you fixed a name where a name had been said incorrectly. Isn't that right, Mark? <laughs> no, I didn't do that, Tim. Uh, but I, yeah, I could have tried to make myself look better or just awkwardly edited. Uh, that would have been fine. But D uh, Diana Davis did let me know in the comments to the YouTube video that uh, the civvy color schemes for Dawn Helix and Jinx slightly uh, allude to their regular costumes so that... Uh, Helix is in yellow, Dawn is in black uh, leggings, and Jinx is in a kind of red top. So there are little signifiers that are meant to help us there. But uh, hmm. yeah, the, the the black hair and sunglasses when we're looking at them close up, just a little bit, little bit too close together to, for us, the brains, to to keep on processing it in the right way. I think. <laughs> um, thank thank you, Diana. Thank you, team, for uh, for those color illusions. That is fun and helpful. And fun. Uh, and I also actually spotted a couple of other Cobra symbology Easter eggs that SL Gallant had uh, squeezed in that we hadn't picked up on at the time. So uh, you know how we were staring at that one panel with the the Cobra, uh, sorry, with the casino bat, um, put, you know, putting some some roses in a in a vase, and uh, and we were sort of lingering on that panel and all of the detail that had been crammed in in on that on that vase bars uh the the there was actually a little mini cobra sig sigil on that as as well and the other one was that uh on uh, sl Gallant's blog he just talked about some of his um design process around the, some of the casino stuff and he posted that the bellhop cobra bat which had that kind of uh playboy bunny kind of look to, to her the uh, the cart, the the luggage cart thing that that she's uh, using has got these loops coming up, which kind of are meant to uh, form a a sort of slight cobra uh, symbol as well. So everywhere in the details. Oh, and also in the backs of the uh, 
the slot machine seats they've kind of got these like um lines kind of kind of slightly alluding to the to the lines of the the cobra uh sort of sigil i want to say gills but they're obviously not gills but um you know what i mean the fan the, of the, the, the cobra the, hood the ribbing yes the ribbing oh. uh, like there we uh, go like how like how brian hitch draws arms and exactly. legs in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the ultimates and ultimate fantastic four like Bridget. athletic, athletic clothing rib. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's on the seating. Um, so today's issue credits, we have got writer Larry Hammer, as usual. Artist S.L. Gallant, as usual. Inks, Maria Keane, as usual. Colours, Jay Brown, as usual. Letters, Neil Utaki, as usual. Editor, Riley Farmer, not as usual. Group editor, Tom Waltz as usual, and research specialist Diana Davis, as usual. So we've got a new credited uh, editor there who uh, replaced uh, the uh, former uh, associate editor who had moved on to other and bigger things. Welcome Riley Farmer to the book. Riley Farmer uh, is a woman and uh, has been at IDW since late 2019. But I have not seen her name on any other IDW books. So the, the, this name is new to me with this issue. So I haven't seen this on Transformers comics, although I will admit I have not been reading Transformers the last two years because I was so taken with the previous run. I had a hard time jumping into the new one. Uh, and I haven't been, I've been reading Turtles, but I'm five issues behind. Uh, but IDW has so many different kinds of of books. There are licensed books like these. There are classic reprints there's the new creator owned wave of single issues that's starting this week this coming week uh there are one-off graphic novels so uh, there are all sorts of places where if you only know idw for joe transformers pony turtles sonic right um where an editor may have been previously Mm. I'm i'm curious tim just because i know you're such a massive transformers fan as well as gi joe fan that you've not been reading it for such a long time. Do you think you're just going to have a, a massive binge and, and catch up at some point? Yes. Yes. I, I can do that one simply. And this was this was happening during the John Barber, James Roberts run from, I don't know, what was it, 2011 to 2016 or so, where uh, sometimes I would, you know, my pile, it's like, okay, there's four months of each of these, plus all the other series, um, you know, Windblade or some a bunch of specials. Uh, so I would have a small binge to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, sooner. Or, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm a little embarrassed, but also uh, I think people under. I think everyone understands to some degree. Either you're busy with other stuff and you fall behind on some comics, or you read so many darn comics that you fall behind on some comics. Mm-hmm. And you know, like right now, you know, each week I'm reading whatever new X Men titles there are for sure and then you know, that's sort of first because mm. yeah. i've been really interested in x-men these last since uh since july 2019 there's just too much darn stuff yeah and and because i own a store i can read it for free <laughs> although although if we don't if we only have one copy i try not to bring it home because then i don't then we don't have that one mm. i'm assuming that that you if you're if you're reading something that you talk, you, I guess you're hesitant about reading a copy and then just sticking it back on the the shelf. So that's no, I, I did. I did that. No, okay. I did. Right. I was a little surprised when I learned that a, another store owner did that, 
but what he, he this is how he phrased it to me it was tuesday night right so they'd gotten their shipment but they couldn't sell anything till wednesday mm-hmm. and he held up i just happened to be there tuesday night and he held up these these four comics he said well this is what i'm reading for tonight and he was bringing them back the next day and i said oh uh, do you like those series he said no this is homework i need to know what's new so i can talk mm. to customers tomorrow so I mean, haven't you worked at a clothing store and you just try on all the jeans right before <laughs> customers come in? Also, I should say, if I am if I'm reading a copy that we're going to sell, I am not folding it and like licking my fingers and <sighs> eating spare ribs. You know, I'm 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 barely holding the comic. Mm. You know, white gloves, clean room. Uh I, I dust it off at the end. <laughs> During the yeah, during the summer the other the other year, I actually bought bought a pair of white gloves because because my, my you know hands were just getting you know clammy, and uh, and my you know brother teased me mercilessly about about that because you know particularly with the modern stock and 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 it's a glossy black page with you know black border, it will just pick up your fingerprints. So um, you know absolutely the um, the photo I took of me holding issue two ninety four. Uh, which I posted on Facebook to send everyone to talkingjoe.co.uk to listen to our previous episode. Uh, that copy is a little wrinkly because it was a little humid when I read it. And that co- that cover is half black. And yes, in the in a certain light, you can see all my fingerprints. That's my personal <laughs> copy, so that's okay. And I, 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 I find it charming that my own copies are not dog-eared, but they're not, they're not 9.9 pristine. You know, they're mm-hmm. like 9.2 pristine, you know, the, the very first G.I. Joe comic of mine, I have read it a lot and it's a little worn. And, and when I was younger, that sort of made me sad. And now I realize that's actually perfect. Where did, where did we get to? We were talking about the new editor. Excellent. Uh, so. I, think, I think now you do the, uh, the, the plot breakdown or we talk about the covers. Uh, we do covers next, don't we? So after a little detour talking about, uh, about, about the editor and going off in a different direction, uh, let's bring it back to track with... Uh, the gallery. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So uh, cover A is the fifth of five interconnecting covers by Freddie Williams II with colors by Fariza Kamaputra. And uh, this is one of the more exciting of the five because we're we're not straight on. We're, we're sort of all the way on one side or the other. So there's a little more uh sort of angle there's more mm-hmm. sort of diagonal and 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 curvature to it there's a, a big hand uh whereas some of the other covers there was sort of one finger um and the the four joes who are pictured here stalker beachhead cover girl and budo are that much more dynamic in their poses and then we see uh, zamat and tomax um up in the top so copy and paste from our last four Real American Hero episodes. In and of itself, uh, I don't love this cover, although this probably works best of the five in and of itself. But uh, I, I appreciate any kind of stunt, like interconnecting covers to get people excited about this book. And then cover B is drawn by S.L. Gallant and uh, with colors by Jay Brown. And it's recently, it's been unusual for brown who's the interior colorist to color Hmm. the covers um i was thinking so this is this is a close-up of serpentor it's just his head with with a little bit of his neck and the two snakes uh at his 
collarbone and his hand and he's holding up one cobra casino chip um, in front of his eye and he's looking straight at you and he's smiling with his mouth with his teeth uh, together uh, and then you see some of his hood his cowl uh, behind him with a black background and I want to get your take on this cover, Mark, because I hadn't seen this image until I got to the store. However, it was um, in uh, catalogs or online solicits or people, you know, you or or websites previewing this issue. I sort of just hadn't seen this cover. Mm -hmm. And so it was in an old fashioned way, a surprise Mm. to see this cover for the first time at the comic book store. Um, And as a as a sentence description, I really like this cover. Right. Serpentor. Um, bold shot of just his head holding up a casino chip in front of his eye, leering at at you, the reader. No background or black background. I like the idea a lot. I don't like the execution. And um, some of it is the color. And I mean two things. I mean the color choices and then also sort of the color uh, treatment so, you know, I'm on record. I'm not I'm not the world's biggest fan of Jay Brown's colors. And so in these two categories, if we're going with the original Serpentor costume, then the um, aren't shouldn't the bits on his hands and the the snake on the left that's over his hand and the snake at his collar, those should be green. Uh, and I know that the Serpentor of issues 49 and 50 and I don't remember the Serpentor of around issue 211, um, how how accurate they were to the 1986 toy. So when I look at this cover, I'm seeing I'm seeing two things. One, my brain sees this as a miscolored Serpentor. And two, mm. I see it as a much less interesting Serpentor because everything he's wearing is the same color. It's all that Serpentor gold. There's no green, there's no you know, black or orange or whatever it is, even down to the four fangs that are a part of his face hood mask, right? Even those fangs are this yellowish gold and those are definitely supposed to be silver or white. And so Mm. in terms of color design, like color picking, I look at this and I think, okay, this is boring or rushed. Uh, But then in terms of treatment, like the light sources and uh, how the sort of highlight on the top of everything is this sort of like mint green, uh, but then the the pink of the casino chip, but then the sort of like every like Caucasian complexion that Jay Brown does is this like very ruddy, like Caucasian person, which I always find unappealing. So what I actually see here are colors that clash with each other. And so A, it's like not the right colors for Serpentor. B, the actual color choices are uh, unappealing. And then C, uh, I, I don't like the treatment of, of the light source and then the secondary light source. And this is on top of, because um, I, was, I was looking at his eye and I'm looking at his teeth and um, Shannon Gallant's storytelling is his strength. Mm-hmm. His raw drawing is secondary to his storytelling, you know, like how he poses characters in acting, in choreography, how he puts figure in ground, how he designs backgrounds, how he um, uh, puts something in the extreme foreground, like 
panel one uh, on page one of this very comic, right? And his storytelling is clear. But I've been thinking about this since I saw this cover on Tuesday. And there is a difference between an interior artist and a cover artist. And sometimes in comics, either because of scheduling or because the editors sort of pick, um, someone who does not make for the most exciting covers draws a cover. And I have a couple examples at the ready from the world of G.I. Joe. I'm thinking of uh, this, this immediately made me think of Action Force Special Number 2. It's this cover where Buzzer is lighting a cigar. Mm. And it's just his head, right? And you see two fingers and a little bit of his, his collar, right? And there's a black background. And he's leering at, out at the reader. This one's a little different because uh, he's wearing glasses. He, there's, there's word balloons. But it's the same kind of general idea. And... Um, I don't know that I can be any more specific than this because like drawing style and drawing skill are so myriad in the world of comics and illustration. But something about this Action Force special number two cover strikes me as a drawing that feels like an interior drawing and not a cover. Some of it is the inking, the line weight, some of it's the anatomy, the, the, the drama of the scene. I don't know if our listeners can do this, but going back to uh, Shannon Gallant's cover for 295, can you imagine if Mike Zeck had drawn this same image? Something about it. There'd, there'd be some minute differences in sort of the, the, the pitch of his head, the twist of his neck. Uh, the, the line quality would be different. There'd be a different arrangement of thicker and thinner lines. I think his nose would be, I don't know, sort of rounder. Something about, and, and I, fe- I felt this way during Shannon Gallant's, what, 88 issue run when he was doing the covers. And his covers were, I think, always based on Larry Hama cover sketches. And I found a lot of those to be fine, but not exciting covers. Uh, so I like the idea of this cover. Don't actually like this cover. Hmm. Do you, before I jump over to the retailer incentive one, do you have a do you have a, a take on this? No, I think those are, are very fair points. Uh, I guess the the only other element that I'd I'd call out was that yeah the the solicits of the covers have been a little bit funny in terms of quite often the the cover image won't be ready in time for the initial kind of blurb for the for the issue and the release date and and, and the credits and so on, and and so it sort of will drip out there into the internet. Um, and you kind of have to go looking for it. Um, so, so I went looking and I did find this this image a few months ahead of time. And when I saw it, it was like, oh, wow, okay. I guess they actually are going to do it. They are going to bring back Serpentor. And he, it, by issue 295, he's going to be front and center in the story, back in his uh, uniform. And perhaps that might have been the original intent. But I think possibly in between the time that... Shannon Gallant was was given a a steer on what to put on the cover and the script actually <laughs> coming coming to fruition. Uh maybe the uh maybe the story or the timing of the story took a little bit of a left a left turn and we don't see Serpentor in his uh outfit by the end of issue two hundred and ninety-five. Mm. Uh what what's the what's the injury behind the Casino chip. So the the injury, I think it is meant to be um, where he got the arrow in his eye 
um, in the original uh, Death of Serpentor, and it's consistent with the treatment of the character when he appeared in the Death of Snake Eyes arc. Serpentor was carrying this injury to his eye. Um, so, so yeah, it is, it is consistent with uh, the the way that uh, Shannon has been drawing Serpentor in his previous appearances to have this injured eye. The it's, it's, it's interesting to, in terms of talking about an interior artist and ex, you know, and the cover artist because the the other two covers that we're going to talk about, John Royal and Dave Johnson, those are artists very much known for their cover work, and to some degree, I think that's because of the speed that that uh, you know in terms of creating cover and uh, that that they they simply couldn't produce twenty pages of a story in a fortnight in the same way that SL Gallant can. Yeah. I, um, I also sort of this, this can expand beyond the world of GI Joe because that, you know, there are all sorts of artists who draw covers only for the big publishers or interiors only or both. And some of the people who do both are quite good at both. And there's no reason for me to just pick on Ron Lim uh, but sometimes I bring up Ron Lim because, you know, an Infinity Gauntlet is sort of in the ether with those movies and uh, and Thanos. Uh, and uh, I guess I guess at my store, that book is sort of shelved at sort of arm height. I don't have to look up to see it anyway. Ron and Ron Lim was, you know, back in 2000 was going to maybe draw a G.I. Joe comic. So he's he's not he's not quite in the world of G.I. Joe, but he's kind of in the world of G.I. Joe. And he's someone who's always drawn good interiors. And in the last uh, 10 years, 15 years, he's only done covers for Marvel. He hasn't done interiors. And uh, although I guess he came back recently for that uh, Silver Surfer miniseries. And if you look at Ron Lim's cover to uh, like Infinity, Infinity War number one, like that's a perfectly good image. It gets the job done. But if you can if you can put on your extrapolation helmet, right? Because Lim took over for George Perez halfway through Infinity Gauntlet, and then Lim drew the two sequels while he was drawing the monthly Silver Surfer. And if you if you can pretend that George Perez had stuck around and he drew the cover to Infinity War number one, like just 300 subtle decisions would have been made differently about how those characters are standing and looking at you and overlapping and their arms are crossed. And Ron Lim's cover to Infinity War number one is not bad. It's not bad, but it doesn't have any extra oomph. And if you look at what's the nearest comparison, the George Perez covers to Infinity Gauntlet, they all do. Right. And like the cover to number one has like painted color. So that may not be a fair comparison. But um, even even something subtle in is it uh, is it issue three or four or five where Adam Warlock is pointing and all the heroes are sort of coming at you uh, out in space. Uh, this isn't this this idea of, you know, cover artist, interior artist um, or um, Shannon Gallant's strengths being interior storytelling. Uh, this isn't only in the world of G.I. Joe. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, I remember Declan Shelby, who's very well known as a comic artist now, when he was starting out and doing the pages of the Thunderbolts and Dark Avengers, that he really wanted to do some of the, the covers and, and uh, as good as his interiors were, the editors were like, yep, yeah, you're 
um, there's the skill set for a cover mm. and a and for interiors are very different, and you need to sort of practice and hone to make a mm. kind of make the a sort of a, a very visually striking, memorable um, cover uh, before we, you get sort of, sort of start, start getting that that work. And and that and I think that is something he focused on, and he used his commissions um, as a kind of exercise tool to kind of be practicing drawing cover worthy images to, to kind of up his game and and now is you know very much known as a as a cover artist and variant cover artist very much yeah, in demand as well that's a nice comparison and and again i don't want to say that a, a headshot of serpenter leering at the reader holding a casino chip isn't cover worthy but i think the the treatment of it is is where you have uh, uh leeway Retailer Incentive Cover is uh, penciled by John Royal, inked by Jagish Kumar, and colored by James O'Frady. This team has done many of these Retailer Incentive Covers. The Baroness and a Polar Assault Trooper. And <laughs> Snowstepfen. Snowstepfen. Uh, that's, that's, mis- that's a mistake for me going back to 1985, always conflating those two, the name and the term. And then behind them, a, a wolf, a cobra wolf. Mm. Um, sadly, we can't see the uh, the Ice Viper uh, either in the cockpit or sort of standing in front of it or behind it. Uh, that would have made this cover so much sweeter for me. Um, <laughs> so we have had an Arctic themed cover relatively recently by this by this artist and colorist mm-hmm. team, and that cover was a real treat. Um, and here's sort of the opposite of it. Um, this one. These two characters are looking at you, the reader. Baroness is straight on, and the um, polar assault trooper, um, the snow serpents are. Uh, snow serpent is a little bit aiming to the right. Um, behind him is, I think, is that a ski? What's mm. the thing with with the cobra logo? Yeah, that's behind. my guess. Is it's a ski with a yeah cobra logo on it? Okay, um, I only cobra ask logo because... is a little bit precise, isn't it? It's... Yeah, I I only ask because if it's a ski, shouldn't there be two? And if it's a ski, <laughs> wouldn't it curve? I, I sort of think it might be just some canister of, uh, I don't know, soup. Um, <laughs> Maybe he's a one-legged suit, snow serpent. So what's what's interesting about this cover is how um, there are a lot of different blues in this cover. But if you squint, it sort of, in a good way, all becomes one blue. Um, the characters pop enough because they are lighter. And there's some highlighting, subtle highlighting around them. So the, the vehicle becomes part of the background. This is really a uh, satisfying cover. And uh, I think the Baroness has sort of goggles, not quite uh, mm. glasses. And also, it needs to be said, the Baroness is not in her regular outfit. She's in an Arctic version. She's in all white. And I don't think there's ever been a toy of that. Mm, no, right? This, right she's she's been in all red and she's been in all blue more like the cartoon and of course she's been in black and there have been some variations with a little more black or a little more dark dark uh gray and so as as a as a gimmick i think it's fun that the baroness would be in all white and we have had a, a snake eyes who's in mostly white i do think that that is opening a can of worms because <laughs> realistically if the joes are going to have an arctic mission they're all going to be wearing like white coats and white pants and it is reasonable for snake eyes to have an all white version of his costume and the baroness to have an all white version of her costume but once you start doing that 
It's like, well, everyone is going to have, it's like, well, then Lifeline should have a white version of his costume. And Ice Cream Trooper should have white versions of their costumes. And then you sort of, it's like, well, let's take our 250 G.I. Joe characters and redo them all in white and light, light, light gray and light, light blue. The gimmick sort of undoes itself because... I'm also perfectly fine with the Joes just going into the Arctic wearing sort of what they wear with like white hats and white coats. And um, so I'm not going to think anymore too hard about what this cover sort of portends. Uh, and, and maybe the Baroness is uh, sort of interested in fashion in a way that none of the other characters in G.I. Joe are. You know, it's like Dr. Mindbender wouldn't have white pants if he's on an Arctic mission, right? Because it's also like, well, he'd wear a coat. Because he's going to yeah. get cold. So uh, uh, I like this cover. I think it also would have been fine if she had been in her normal black costume. But yes, as a, as a not a gimmick, but a treatment for uh, color decisions on this cover, uh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. I read online that um, people were compl- some. Well, I read a line from one person who was complaining that he couldn't find this cover apart from $50 online on eBay. Uh, from another retailer. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Uh, I usually don't look at these on on eBay, but I happened to look at this cover on eBay this week, and I saw two going for fifty. And I'm not sure. I I don't know what the other you know what two ninety four two ninety three retailer incentives go for. Uh, if this, so that's to say that this is a lot more than normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they noted that that quite often they'll find it for closer to think 30 or something like that. And this one seemed to be more and they weren't sure why, because I think it's still a one to 10 ratio. And the answer seemed to be boobs. Uh, it, it, I think both uh, the first is definitely correct. And the second, I would agree. It is a one in 10. Uh, I think, I think if you have people who are occasionally buying these, not the people who buy every one of these, uh, they they might be more interested in the one with the Baroness if they only show up occasionally. Mm. Um, it's also possible that just as we get closer to 300, more and more people are paying attention. Mm. But, you know, do the math. If you are a store, to be able to sell one of these, to be able to get one of these, you have to order uh, 10 copies, right? And and to sell 10 copies, that's 40 bucks. Mm. Yeah. And uh, and as we know, not every single store is going to be able to sell ten copies, at least to their not to their regular audience. So right. um, they want to cover they want to cover their costs and make a bit more on top. And then there's this online exclusive cover drawn and colored by Dave Johnson, which is is it three or four connecting covers? Three Mark? connecting covers. Okay, so this first one has snake eyes sort of lunging toward us behind him are uh, Duke and Roadblock missing a mustache and three uh, Sky Strikers. And uh, there's there's, a, there's a, a, a geometric shape at the top and bottom of this cover. There's a curved blue thing, which sort of represents some kind of foreground element that Snake Eyes has planted his hand on. Like we're looking through sort of a curved window that he's jumping out from the battle into wherever we are. Do you have a mm. take on on what this shape is? It's a bit James Bondy, isn't it? It's almost like a, you know, just the, yeah, just iris, just the, the iris, uh, iris of a camera or a, a gun scope. Yeah, a bit like that, isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wanting to look at the um, the combined image to, to remind myself of how it all looks. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's sort of combined. It's kind of like a swooshing kind of shape. Um, hmm. It's it, it it's kind of the f yeah flowing Cobra Commander cape almost sort of flowing out and, uh, ah, and yes. up ab above and below, and then they're sort of creating a, a kind of interior of the cape where there's a, an image framed against it. But it's, yeah, very stylized um, kind of image. Dave Johnson draws really well. His covers, he is such a designer. He's thinking about shape. He's thinking about shapes, negative space, positive space, geometric shapes. Uh, he deals with type. Like you look at his Punisher Max covers when Jason Aaron was writing Punisher. And this was right after the Garth Ennis run. And uh, Dave Johnson, or this this upcoming cover uh, for the, uh, it's the first regular issue after the special of uh, Batman, the audio adventures, right? Like this logo on the bottom of that cover, like that is acting as a giant shape, a giant mm. compositional element that Batman can uh, swing around or or sort of uh, spatially react to. And, and Johnson's covers are so bold and his drawing skills are great, right? And his coloring skills are great. And you look at this G.I. Joe cover that he's done, and there are kind of just five colors on this whole thing. It's like two or three blues. There's the gray. Like all of Snake Eyes is this one gray. Where Snake Eyes isn't inked, he's just this one gray. And that doesn't look lazy or unfinished. That doesn't look like interior colors versus cover colors. Because I never said cover colors had to be painted or rendered. And you have these very, these three very clear planes. You have snake eyes and the blue element in the foreground. You have these two or three Joes in the middle ground, right? And they're all kind of just two colors, sort of the, the brown, orange, beige of Roblox Duke. And then you've got uh, a bunch of black behind them for some smoke. Uh, and then it's that light blue that is sort of the distant um, sky. And um, Johnson's... Johnson, he can paint and he can render. And when he's coloring, when he's not painting, uh, he tends not to render. And you could call it old school. You could call it limited. You could call it more structural. But I'm always happy to see a Dave Johnson G.I. Joe cover. And I'm a little sad that we've seen so few. And it was, it was in the other G.I. Joe continuity. You know, we've never seen a Dave Johnson mm. cover for Real American Hero. And uh, I know I bring up Mike Zek a lot, but, you know, his 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 shadow over Real American Hero looms pretty large because of that cover run. Dave Johnson, you know, with the right editor and <laughs> throwing the right amount of money at Dave Johnson, if his schedule allowed for it, like Dave Johnson could be this era's Mike Zek for G.I. Joe. It's like, why isn't there a run of 27 amazing Dave Johnson, Real American Hero covers, regular covers, not, not crazy variants. Mm. And uh, as we get to see more of this cover, it, it sort of also alludes to kind of actually tying into this this story because, well, this is quite a, a sort of generic pinup, really, of of Snake Eyes. the The subsequent covers we get to see Dawn and Laura and Mindbender mm. and um, Serpentor. So, um, yeah, quite exciting that it is kind of, you know not just purely a splashy front cover but also tying into the to the interiors as well and uh, this is available on idw publishing's website 
$5 and still in stock at the time of recording. Uh, to answer the question that you didn't ask, uh, no, I shan't be ordering one of these for myself. I'm, I'm happy to save the JPEG. Online from, exclusive, online exclusive, from, not for yes. the likes of you, Tim. <laughs> Uh, if, uh, if my, <laughs> if my store were also a web store and I could get it at wholesale, would I get one for myself? If I could do it easily, would I get one for myself? Sure. But there are so many retailer exclusives and online retailer exclusives for GI Joe. Uh, and, as, and, and to say the opposite of what you just said, most of them are just random pinups of Snake Eyes or Storm Shadow or the Baroness. And those are great. I don't need them. Let's talk about the comic. As Laura assembles her team ready to capture Snake Eyes, Mindbender and his Techno Viper, who I will call Jeffrey, realize that Casino Bats are revanche sleeper agents. Mindbender calls Vipers and Techno Vipers to draw weapons and report to the lab. Genghis Cobra, as we now call him, awakes. He needs to be connected to the brainwave scanner to make implanted memories coherent and accessible. The Joes make their way to Mindbender's lab via an elevator shaft and utility corridor, but encounter another set of casino bots. The Joe perimeter team also encounter a lone casino bat, but make short shrift of her ripping off her head. Alpha 001 closes the barn door after the bats have bolted, issuing an order to stand down and refrain from blowing their cover. Too late, Alpha 001. Meanwhile, the Joes kill the power and breach the lab, but attack without firearms to prevent damage to the brainwave scanner. Jinx takes the chance to launch an attack from her hiding place behind the Cobra troops. They're victorious, but Dawn is upset that she is not able to use the brainwave scanner to offload Snake Eye's memories. And they are given an order to exfiltrate with Mindbender and Jeffrey the Techno Viper as captives. But as they make their way back out via the utility corridor that we know so well, they are surprised by Laura and a squad of assorted Vipers. Scarlet is surprised as Laura reveals, we're right here, Red. The casino and island are locked up tight. None of you are getting out of here. Dun, dun, dun. To be continued. You know, when I got to this final panel, I was let down that uh, To Be Continued had a period. I I thought it really wanted uh, an exclamation mark. <laughs> and I, I think most, maybe all, most of the IDW... Hama G.I. Joe comics that have ended with those three words have ended with a period. But I feel like there are some stakes on this final page and 300's coming up soon. Mm. Uh, also, I was so hoping that after the following page with a cover for the next issue that past the page turn, we'd get the letters page back. But no, still no letters page. No letters for you, Tim. So what is your top-down reaction to this issue, Mark. So, before I get to my top-down, mm. let's keep things positive. Well, I done read a heck of a lot of comics. Some of them are great. The team are all on it. But some are a bit cack. They really are whack. 
Before the nitpicks come out of giving it my bestest And nothing's gonna stop me from trying to be positive So I'll pause my scorn To put up two thumbs And turn my frown upside down Take advice It cannot wait Say something nice go with saying making sure that at the outset we say something nice oh well then i'll talk about my top down because good i like this issue i do think that based on sort of how we talked about the previous issue my comment for the previous issue was that the previous two issues should have been smushed into one issue mm-hmm. and so following up on that i'd be quite happy if this issue 295 were sort of 294 and we'd still have another another an extra 20 pages until uh 300 um and while several of our players are still in the same places the three joes outside in the woods are still there uh jinx is still hiding behind the the giant test tube um (laughs) cover commander is still uh chatting it up with uh (laughs) vacationers um the ninjas are still you know sneaking around the casino while physically characters haven't moved much i thought the 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 action in this issue was quite good and the smaller steps forward in the narrative were satisfying so i'm not sure which way laura's gonna go if she's gonna betray cobra or be a good Mm. cobra after all i thought the bits with uh, Genghis Khan, right, as as Serpentor, where he's sentient and he's following the action mm. with his eyes, and then he taps on the inside of the glass, and then he uh, reacts when the was it the power gets cut, right, mm. um, and then Mindbender is worried about him. I thought that was all compelling, and and this comes from a guy who does not want Serpentor to come back and is still puzzled why why Hama wants serpentor to come back right this still feels like i don't think this is not what happens this still feels like hasbro is making this happen like there's some serpentor action figure but i know that's not how the comic Mm. works anymore right this characters don't have to show up because there's a new toy hama's off on his own and we've also sort of zigged in a kind of slightly different direction that they're not that the mindbender is no longer calling him serpentor he's now calling him genghis khan or genghis cobra um, so, so it kind of feels more like we're kind of ending up with a with a new character rather than just Serpentor again, which maybe maybe was kind of the initial idea before uh, Larry Hammer changed things as he, you know, made it up going along. That's that's interesting to me in a way that Serpentor is not mm. particularly like if he has a slightly different name, if he has a slightly different costume. If he is a different character, then it doesn't feel regressive. Mm. If it's going to be Serpentor, I need a lot more emotion from Mindbender besides that one or two word balloons an issue or two ago about how Cobra Commander is not a great leader. Because this seems pretty easy for, for Mindbender to pull off. 
And, you know, we talked before about how the creation of Serpentor is a big deal in the cartoon and is quite abbreviated in the original comic book, you know, issue 49. And I think that's it, right? Or maybe a little bit of 48. So uh, if it's going to be Serpentor, that is disappointing to me. If it's Mm -hmm. someone new... Uh, and I really want them to put on clothes, right? Like I don't want them to give a speech like naked and wet in front of a <laughs> shattered giant test tube because part of what jazzes me up about G.I. Joe is the costumes and the mm. gear. And part of what disappointed me about the original Serpentor in the comic is that his costume was not fully out the version from the toy and the cartoon. It was, you know, like orange pants mm. and like a cape and like no shirt it's like no no the comic book is the place where you do draw the really detailed impossible to animate thing (laughs) covered in scales and it's like no the cartoon should have dropped the shirt and given him orange pants i I was almost sort of struggling to to think to myself what would i give as my big positive and i think and i think you've kind of knocked the nail on the on the head with it i think the one of my big positives with from this issue would be those genghis khan moments where he's sort of silently in the tube you know really doing some great acting and great great moments um you know without the dialogue um and being that sort of looming slightly eerie presence there's this moment where laura um is is sort of talking to to mindbender and she says i'd better go assemble my team what should i tell casino patrons if they get curious you'll figure something out i'll figure something out all right but it's not going to be what Dr. Mindbender has in mind. And um, Genghis Cobra is is looking at uh, Laura as she says this. And I wondered, Tim, what, what do you think Laura means by that? I'll figure something out all right, but it's not going to be what Dr. Mindbender has in mind. I think ultimately she is going to betray Cobra. That groundwork has been laid. This is a theme that Hama uses redemption and forgiveness Mm. and if she's if she's going to be a villain she hasn't been cruel enough so even though i'm not entirely sure one way or the other it feels like she's going to be some kind of good guy but you know also hama may not know Mm. you know maybe he's it's like the the don marino snake eyes costume that he designed maybe hama like three weeks ago sketched out some gi joe costume for Laura, when she becomes a Joe, you know, codename the, the seatbelt or something. <laughs> ouch. I'm, see, no, ouch, come on. I'm just looking for, you know this joke. I'm just looking for any two-syllable compound word, you know, like pothole, roadblock, claymore, uh, shotgun, you know. Eye like patch. Spotlight. Right. Oh, no, thank you. Eye patch. There you go. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's. Maybe what she's doing is that she's not stopping the the Joes to interfere with them and capture them, but but she thinks that she might be able to actually help them uh, with their with their scheme to use the the brainwave scanner, possibly. Um, some something else that works for me in this issue. Should I say more nice things? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I know I spent some time on this in the previous episode, but and and we we have we have heard. I believe from Shannon Gallant that these issues are drawn with a very quick turnaround, like Mm -hmm. quicker than normal or quicker than you'd want for 20 pages. And while, you know, like the fine detail in a background, lots of thin, crisp lines describing 
pipes and doors and chairs. That's not all there. And, you know, faces are not like filled with fine detail, but Gallant's never drawn that way. Uh, his faces are are more simple than mm-hmm. than not. His his poses and his choreography is is just great. So, uh, you know, page um, page nine, panel one, where Doctor Mindbender and Jeffrey are pulling pulling the tube. I mean, yeah. Mindbender is leaning back the way that you do when you're like playing tug of war. And between Mindbender and Jeffrey across the entire book, there's a lot of great body language of pointing um sort of palms up and hand out like the that sort of ta-da pose or like look mm-hmm. over here let me present you with this or are you sure just you mentioning dr mindbender's body language really chimes with me because i've we've been reading the the devil's due issues in parallel with this and and i've just recently been reading issue i think it's 36 or 37 of the devil's due where Dr. Mindbender is is actually sort of a prisoner and he's dangling from a ceiling in in chains and and the body language there is just a bit off that he he's sort of like holding himself very sort of straight and parallel whereas if you're you know being dangled from a from a ceiling in in chains you know your you know gravity is pulling you you down and you're being stretched out and it's yeah great to see sort of the body language you know pulling back on on that um that hose as you point out you know, really looks very naturalistic and thought out in a way that, that other artists might not just instinctively get. Yeah. I had a teacher in school who said that uh, animators are actors who draw or artists who act. And that that probably comes from a from an animator, from a famous animator who worked in the studio system in the you know, 40s or mm. 50s or 60s. And the same can be said for comics. And one of the things I would occasionally say to my students is you have to get up out of your seat Mm. and move. Maybe you are taking pictures or video of yourself moving, or maybe you're handing your camera to someone and getting reference photos of yourself taking a pose. Not just because it's sort of hard to figure out what the pose is, but because if you draw your entire career sitting at the same chair, looking at the same drawing board, or, you know, drawing onto the same tablet, your sort of stimuli gets narrow and Gallant, his acting and his poses and his fight choreography is always clear, is always exciting, never is always convincing and sort of true and never gets boring. And I don't, I don't have an example at my fingertips, but I think we've all seen like boring action comics that are you know, it's like, well, it's some people shooting or some people punching or some people um, fighting with swords, but there's not a lot of interesting overlap. It's not a lot of interesting sort of dominant shapes. It's not a lot of interesting interplay between positive space and negative space. And by that, I mean, positive space is like characters or important props and negative space is like around their head or like under their arm or between their knees or like next to them where you see to the background or to the sky. Uh, the bottom of page six uh, Sean as Throwdown, Snake Eyes, is dodging two missiles and he's drawing a sword. And Gallant puts the camera on the ground, aiming up. Mm. He doesn't have to do that, right? That does accentuate that this character is dodging these missiles that have been fired at like roughly five feet. And then two panels later, Scarlet has her machine gun. And similarly, we are looking up at her. Camera is on the ground, tilted up a little bit. And then go back to page three 
the final, this is actually, this might be my favorite panel in the whole comic. The final panel of this page, it's a horizontal panel. It takes the whole tier and uh, four Joes are running left to right. And Dawn is, is yelling something. And in the foreground, we're looking past two sets of running legs. And then in the middle ground are two more Joes who are also running. And then the background is the wall with all the piping. And Gallant puts the camera on the ground and aims it up a little bit, not as much as those other two panels. And this is already on a page where on the first panel in the elevator shaft, we're looking down. It's just a lot of variety. And if you are new to drawing comics, you might think of this like, again, using a movie term, moving the camera around in a scene in an arbitrary way. And as you practice storyboarding, drawing comics, animating, you start to figure out that certain actions or beats or emotions suggest a certain angle, point of view, camera height. And it's not always like one is the answer and the rest don't work. So this panel on the bottom of page three, where the four Joes are running, just the fact that we get to see Scarlet in the negative space under, I think it's Sean. Actually, I don't know whose boots are on the left. But anyway, mm. that doesn't that doesn't add a lot. That's not like a brilliant decision. That's not that doesn't change the story. It is a small enhancement. It adds some visual pep to this, and you see how much. What I'm what I'm trying to get to is that part of why I appreciate Gallant's storytelling so much is that, and and I'll, I'm going to jump to another page to make this point. He. He can cram in so much that is clear, and he's accentuating all of these sort of moments of action. I'm never lost, but he's he's only ever enhancing them. So like all the stuff that gets crammed into this page in terms of storytelling, right? Ninjas in the elevator shaft. But what does he do? All four of them are holding on to different elements in different ways. So there's visual variety. And then in the next panel, Throwdown is starting to draw his sword while we're looking past him as we see him see an elevator door that's marked with important information. And then the next panel, we're now on the outside and he's broken his way through. And everything about his pose, where his upper hand is, where his lower hand is, cocked back, right? Can opening, can openering the <laughs> elevator door with his sword. Drunk. And then and then uh, Gallant needs a little extra space uh, for Helix uh, for, to overlap the panel gutter. And so he puts her on top of it, which G.I. Joe as a sort of like conservative or like old school, traditional, like not a lot of splash pages, you know, full bleed. We tend to have white gutters. We tend to have rectangular panels. We don't get a lot of overlap like this. There's a little bit on the page ahead of this, uh, but the, the page before this where Laura's head overlaps a panel gutter just mm. slightly. But back here on page three, right, Helix is both looking up at the ceiling and shooting the ceiling piping and also holding her machine gun at the same time. And there's space for a word balloon while she's explaining this. And there's a sound effect. And there's the flash of the camera being shot. And all this happens on one page. And and I wanted to go, I wanted to, so that's page three. So four, five, six, seven. I want to spend a minute on page seven, which I already uh, mentioned, because the thing that happens here that I like so much is that um, Gallant does the same thing. There's a lot of clear action. There's a lot of variety. But look what happens in the first two panels. Uh, Scarlet's saying, I've got flame through her mouth, and she's firing with her machine gun. And flame is going over her head. So she's ducking it the way that 
Throwdown ducked the missiles previously. And on the next panel, there's all this information. This is the magic of comics. You can't quite do this in storyboarding or animation, right? But you can have all this stuff happening simultaneously and also sequentially. So Scarlet's machine gun is firing past the border. So it's now effectively in <laughs> panel two. Dawn is saying, Sean, I need your sword. You go left to right. A centimeter to the right, she's got her hand open, ready to catch his sword. And then a half a centimeter above it, he has already thrown the sword. And then just to the right of that is his, I have just thrown a sword pose, right? You could break that into two separate beats, into three separate beats, where she's like, Sean, throw me your sword. And then the next panel, he throws her the sword. And then the next panel, she catches it. Like, that would also be fine. That would have a different feeling, a different rhythm. But let's let's stay on panel two for a second, right? I sort of had lost track that one of the robots had a flamethrower in its mouth. So in panel one, where Scarlet says, I've got flamethrower mouth, well, there it is on panel two, right next to, in front of Dawn, but it is, and flames from it coming out of its mouth, but it is also getting shot, right? So the bullet that Scarlet is firing in panel one, not like directly linearly, not in a straight line, but in the next moment, in the next panel, in the next division of space, that bat's head, the back of it's getting blown out. Mm. Right. And then this sort of overlapping continues again to panel three, where now Dawn is doing something with the two swords. She needed two swords to be able to do this thing. Good thing she caught that sword in the previous panel where she also asked for the sword and caught the sword. And then, you know, this very like Larry Hama, like wink moment, you know, clang, clang, uh, scree. I'm going to add a brap, which isn't actually there. And then are we cool? We're just getting warmed up. You know, like you get closure on this scene. Uh, this this fight scene is only two pages and Hama like sort of nudges you with his elbow. Like, aren't these characters cool? Aren't they the best? <laughs> but like, there's more to come. Um, so you think of action artists in comics and I, I don't mean necessarily superhero action, but sort of more like punching, driving, shooting, grappling hooks, you know, repelling, ninja stuff, flipping and... This page is really satisfying. So uh, sort of the, the, the winner for me in this issue is that, yes, characters don't move very far physically. We don't have a, a lot of new information about, finger quotes, Serpentor. But the moving of the, the smaller moving of pieces in this issue is quite satisfying mm. and, and, and exciting. Something I picked up sort of looking at the details as you're talking it through as, as well is that these three casino bots are all very subtly different as well. So you've they've they've got th three different sets of armaments in the, in the same you know similar vein to the three ninjas all the way back in issue twenty one, but also um, you know very small kind of visual differences. So you've got the the armaments being two. One has two swords coming out of her wrists. One has two rocket launchers, and one of has a, a flamethrower mouth. And then beyond that, the the look of them one of one of them has got uh, hair in a in a knot, and and also boots instead of stilettos. Another one has got her hair loose, and and another one is the kind of the Playboy bunny bellhop with the uh, serpent headband thing going on. Um, so so yeah, very similar characters on first glance, but actually. Uh, in terms of the detail and uh, the fact that they've all been differentiated but with these different sets of weapons, um, you know, uh, yeah, good, good stuff. Yeah, that's not a, 
that's a that's a helpful writer tool you know like hama gives that to himself mm. so he can tell them apart so he can maybe have them do different things so his artist can do different things with them you know like imagine if this scene were just three regular cobra bats it's like okay well you and i are thinking of the toy so it's like well one has the flamethrower hand one has the hand hand and one has the claw hand it's like <laughs> well that was never part of the comic or if it's just three regular 1986 vipers you know it's like well they're, they're all the same well like mm. well why not make one a viper one a frag viper one a mm. hydro viper uh, I will click back to um, th- th- these two pages that I just talked about. Well, m- mostly page seven, but um, I think pages six and seven together represent a good. So one of the things that's always hard for me about the IDW Real American Hero book are the color choices and color treatment that come from Jay Brown. And these two pages, and I'm, I'm holding the comic in front of me. So if you're reading this digitally, you may not see them next to each other, but if you squint, these these pages sort of become, for me, like mush. Every panel has too much going on just in the color. And in isolation, many of these decisions from Brown would be fine. I think panel two of page six, where the three bats start to attack, there's this very active uh, sort of splatter background. And within the splatter, there's a gradient. There's like light yellow and medium green and dark green. And then it happens again on the next page where Helix fires her, fires her machine gun. Certainly in those two panels, you can have something more happening in the background. But there are so many different colors across these two pages. There are there are muddy backgrounds. There are light backgrounds. The, the panel on the bottom of page six where Throwdown Snake Eyes is is ducking under the missiles. There are so many different colors in that background of speed lines. And then uh, Throwdown himself has this, you know, gray with these sort of brightened white highlights on them, which which never work for me. It just looks dashed off like every single panel of Snake Eyes ever. And, you know, I, I made a point in my um, in my 40th anniversary special blog post uh, the the redo of Silent Interlude. I, I I made a point about one panel that Jay Brown had colored where I thought the background was really unappealing. There was a gradient from sort of like peach to like gray purple, and and I'm seeing that kind of thing again here on page six in the third panel behind these three bats that are attacking. Right there's this on the left of it behind the swords. There's this like green gray brown that becomes this gray mustard that becomes this yellow there are too many colors and they're too active and i think what brown would benefit from is making fewer choices and if half these backgrounds were just one color just a light gray or a light blue or a light mm, olive drab or a light tan and the character and the character color and the the excitement of all of the like active color in the flame or all the active color in the like machine gun flash that could jump out. But I see a lot of Brown's colors fighting with each other. Uh, and it happens again a few pages later when, uh, when the Joes, uh, there's that, there's that two pages where the Joes are fighting all the Vipers and there's that panel where 
uh, Dawn and Snake uh, throw down both um, slash with their swords. Um, That's another two pages where I squint and I just see a cacophony of like purple, brown, red, brown, blue, brown, 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 orange, brown. Um, (laughs) um, And and like I would be interested in seeing Jay Brown's flats. I'd be really interested in seeing his color, his colors when he's only 20% done with every page. Like green tank for the Serpentor clone. Like, okay. Green or blue uh, computer monitors in Dr. Mindbender's lab. Okay. Just, just that one green, just the one blue. Um, but, you know, by the time he starts uh, like doing these sort of fuzzy highlights and all the vipers and the techno vipers in this, in this fight, it, it's too much. Sort of it, over, it overloads the the page the pages. Mm. If I change tack slightly, you you kind of alluded to this a little bit about sort of uh, most of the Joes, uh, most well most of the characters kind of remaining in very similar scenarios to to the to how we've seen them in previous issues, and and I was going to repeat the point that I had last time around a kind of a sense of deja vu and frustration that things aren't moving forward quite fast enough um that we've got dawn and helix fighting casino bots in the again in the service tunnels again um and they actually say no models we haven't engaged before so no surprises um yep <laughs> jinx is still in mindbender's lab waiting for a diversion and laura and mindbender are still in his lab talking about serpentor project and capturing snake eyes so that's the kind of the heart glass half empty view but the glass half full kind of view of of that is that you know this has been playing out over a few issues now and the threads are kind of pulling together so genghis cobra awakes the the casino bats are kind of uncovered and and everyone knows what's happening with them and after talking about troubling memories in the the setup on the the train in part one dawn is face to face with a brainwave scanner and and after talking about uh, Mindbender and Laura talking about capturing Snake Eyes at the end, the very final page, it seems like the crew are seemingly captured. So it's all you know, while things moving slowly, it, it is all coming together. And it, I get the sort of sense that you know some of the frustration is we're you know reading this issue by by issue, and we're so you know aware that we've only got so many issues before we get to three hundred and the series uh, finishes at IDW. Uh, um, and that may be making us feel a little more pressurized, but I guess um, I've got a sense that maybe as a, a trade paperback, reading everything all together without maybe that, those same issue by issue experience, it might read slightly better. Yeah, I share your concern that that the the looming deadline, the end point of issue three hundred, is making difficult the sort of the like organic uh, like spread of drama and action that some things are happening very slowly and we're going to run out of time we're going to run out of space Mm. and issue 300 is going to be uh idw has a term oversized that means four additional pages i'm hoping issue 300 will be double sized which would be you know 10 or 20 extra pages I get the sense that they're going to try and do something a few things that extra special just this very week Nitho Diaz tweeted 
talking about that he was back on Joe doing something special. So so his exact words were um, on Twitter. This is, after a long time, I got back to do a few pages on a G.I. Joe book again. Fun fact, Larry wrote Fight and More Fights for three pages. So he had plenty of liberty to write Dawn and Sean fight choreography. Of course, I would start with a splash page. So uh, you were uh, you were mentioned actually. I think it was the last episode that um, that that Serpentor cover for for the collection might be the last thing that that mm. Nitho draws on uh, GI Joe. But it sounds like uh, we're getting some sort of uh, return. And I think I saw something about Ron Joseph doing some uh, some work for GI Joe, possibly for a, a cover as well. So. Um, I'm getting the sense that there's some things working away in the background where they're where they're trying to pull together some of uh, the artists again to do some special things uh, for for the final I, issues. I wonder if it's th- that is special to me. I wonder if it is as straightforward as uh, issue 300 is double sized. We're going to have the regular guy draw most of it, and we're going to have these other people come back and help out and do a few pages each because it is double sized and it's. It's hard for an artist doing a regular monthly book to also fit in a double-sized issue. And mm. that, you know, it, having having artists from the last couple of years return for such a reason is a celebration in and of itself. And that would be quite exciting for me. Thinking back to previous anniversary issues and final issues, I always want, I always want more. You know, I want not just double-sized. Uh, I want a backup story, some pinups. I mean, I guess no one does pinups anymore because that's what variant covers are for. But anyway, uh, Ron Joseph and Nitho Diaz coming back for something in the next five issues. That sounds great. Very good. What next? Oh, yeah, we we were talking about, uh, I mentioned as as well about the kind of Dawn and Helix fighting the casino bots and, and the somewhat dismissive nature of the dialogue. No models we haven't engaged before. No surprises. Um, it does feel like after they were kind of introduced as the big bad and Dawn and, and Helix sort of had this big um, struggle to to defeat one in the first appearance that uh, they they are do seem to be increasingly disposable that there, there doesn't seem to be too you know in the last issue they were killing off swathes in the in the hotel corridors here they take take on another three and uh, roadblock sneaks up behind another and just pulls its head off. Does it does seem like they're just a little bit uh, more disposable than than when we first encountered them, and and I think that kind of diminishes the jeopardy a little bit. Yeah, and that's also part of the problem with making them so hard to kill in the first place. You know, back in artificial intelligence, when Destro and Baroness were fighting some blue ninjas, you know, and he was using his his wrist rockets. You know, two things need to happen: either you introduce some element like like oh the, these new ones uh, are weaker you know either the mm. like zero 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 one says that or the the joes observe it you know like oh their armor plating is in his or the the reader sort of assumes that there's this shorthand going on like okay well it took half an issue for a couple joes to take down one of these robots five issues ago 20 issues ago mm. but they did it so now we we can somewhat skip past it and I think that's asking a lot of the reader in a in a book that's sort of grounded and doesn't have a lot of that kind of 
sort of shorthand because it it starts to place the the blue ninjas or the revanche bats on the same level as sort of any cobra soldier any viper you know and roblox Mm. not going to tear a normal person's head off but yes as much as i liked the ninja fight with these three robots in this issue in the in the access tunnel it didn't seem harder than than a normal fight there were many episodes of two or five or ten episodes ago i talked for a few minutes about sort of the like escalating stakes where you can't escalate them anymore uh and i was talking about uh dc comics and their events their cosmic events like crisis on infinite earths and the new one dark crisis and i talked about how the multiverse seems to keep getting bigger but in sort of an uninteresting linear way and I, I sort of see that happening here where t- to the point you just made if it did take half an issue previously to take out one of these robots and now you can do it in two pages that is asking the reader to sort of compress a lot of stakes uh, of danger you know sort of while i'm not worried about the joes if in this two-page fight the joes had taken out these three robots and two of the joes had been injured you know mm. or they take out the robots and then right when they get through the doorway out of the after the fight, the, the three robots then like stand up and sort of sort of like hobbling after them, you know, like, OK, they didn't really take them out. Um, it does feel like it could have an, an added mm. note or level. Mm. When I, I saw I saw an interesting sort of note as well um, about some of these these fights and and the fact that it seems like we've seen a lot of bats. We've seen a lot of blue ninjas and we've seen a lot of these casino bots. And the common thread between them is, you know, they're robots and can easily be killed. And it's uh, potentially slightly less, slightly more palatable and less grisly than um, slicing or shooting into a human. Um, and actually, there is a fairly grisly sequence that you pointed to before where um, where we do get a couple of the humans being, being killed. And there's a panel with Dawn slicing into a... Techno Viper and um, Sean is cutting into a Viper from a shoulder down to belly by the looks of things. Bzzash is the sound effect. Yeah, this is page 15. Mm. Uh, one of the two pages that I was referring to at the end of my comment about the color. Um, are, do, do you have a, an added, do you want to say anything else about this, the, the sword slashing here and then it's people? Or are you just no, it, finishing it was, your... It was a sort of a fairly finished thought, but um, but I think possibly possibly that might be, you know, coming into play with with the kind of, and as a thought as to why we seem to be seeing so many bats, robots, you know, revanche, blue ninjas, etc. that as an idea then that the joes are defeating them and you know destroying them um it's it's slightly more palatable than than kind of the thinking about the the consequences of you know killing real life humans i wonder if hama uh, is it's less about sort of the the action of it or the quotes violence of it i sometimes wondered if hama has this interest in technology which leads him back to something like the brainwave scanner or bats and revanche and artificial intelligence as a concept not as a not as a four-part story and uh because you know the the joes don't do social media they're not on their smartphones they don't play (laughs) playstation 
But in the real world, we spend a lot of time on our devices um, feeling connected or feeling, quote, connected. And, you know, there are reasons to be worried about how much time someone spends on with technology or, you know, companies that are tracking us because we have smartphones or we have smart cars or, you know, we, we sign up for all these things and we, we check the box, you know, for, yes, I read your terms and conditions. And I wonder if in a subtle way, Bats and Revanche and Mindbender's stuff coming into G.I. Joe is Hama playing in that arena a little bit in a way that, you know, shooting a bunch of Techno Vipers isn't as interesting or doesn't doesn't say anything extra. You know, no one in the G.I. Joe comic has said, like, I'm worried about Revanche taking over the world. Or maybe someone did. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, let's let's say this G.I. Joe comic kept going past 300. Let's say IDW had the license for another couple of years. I don't think, you know, at like 350, Revanche would have taken over the world. But abstractly in the background, that is a concern of mine for this story, that this company, this, you know, 0001... Zero 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 one zero 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 one one zero 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 one one zero 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 one 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 does have that ability and that power, and that's not something we've seen in GI Joe. Like, you know, I've read a well, I haven't read any Terminator comics, but I have read a wonderful RoboCop versus Terminator comic, and in Terminator comics, there's this concern that the Terminators are going to take over the world, but at the same time, Mark, do note how many flesh and blood Cobra soldiers show up in this issue, right? And, you know, in, in, in one or two previous episodes, I have gotten excited when a Techno Viper shows up and does a Techno Viper thing, when they fix a thing or they mm-hmm. show up to do some computer or, you know, mechanical repair stuff because that's such a great action figure to make for a toy line. But since he's not a combat guy and he doesn't come with a gun, he comes with like a welding laser and a giant claw and a hammer or whatever. <laughs> You know, as a kid, you, maybe you play with it wrong. You just give him a gun or you just like, well, this is a gun, even though it looks like a claw. Um, it shoots lasers. But, you know, the, a bunch of different kinds of vipers specifically get called into this issue. And then they they form a barrier uh, between the Joes and Mind Menor's tech. And then there's this shootout with them. So there is a division in this issue between what, you know, the humans are doing and what the robots are doing as as a, as a theme for the last, you know, 100 issues of Hama's G.I. Joe. Hmm. Interesting. Or he's just making it up as he goes. You know, it gets to page 17. Like, oh, I think Mindbender should call some people in. He should probably call in some Vipers. And, and the treatment of, because Revanche and the Blue Ninjas aren't always allied with the with Cobra, I guess the, the treatment of them is that it, it's very much implied that in degrees of badness that revanche is worse than uh, than cobra generally that if if it's mm. one against the other um then then your sympathies are meant to to lie with more with uh with cobra did i make did i make a guess in our last episode that maybe in 300 joe and cobra would team up to stop revanche uh i don't know if you said that before but you've you've said it now uh, yeah i just said it now. <laughs> <laughs> not the first time that it's happened and and it happened in the cartoon too. It happened in uh, happened in um, the Games Master, and I can't think of any other episodes. But it definitely happened in one or two other episodes. Very good. Um, I think most of that's covered most of my my main talking points. The the other one 
was uh, was maybe to just get your get your thoughts on Cobra Commander schmoozing with the customers on the casino floor and discussing <laughs> Muzak playlists. So um, I, now that I've already in a previous issue read him doing this stuff, it's like why isn't he scary? Why isn't he walking around around, around with a gun or making threats or on TV ransoming these people? I think I think what Hama might be going for or might be allowing himself the room to go for is that Cobra is actually more dangerous if it is legitimate. And we can go back to the fantasy of it as this bad guy army that conquers. And I have not read issues uh, 155 through 160, I think since they came out excuse me, 156 through 160, right? When Cobra took over the White House, Mm because that story, uh, it didn't... If you and I ever do a series of episodes where we start back at the beginning of the IDW run, I can get into this. But that story didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the idea of it. I don't like how it it turned out. But, you know, like you see this in in, in Daredevil comics where, uh, you know, you think... You think Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, is scary as a crime boss? Just wait until he's the mayor of New York, right? Which is happening in the last couple of years of Marvel Comics or going back to around the year 2000 with DC Comics and Superman. You think Lex Luthor is scary as a billionaire, evil scientist, industrialist? Just wait until he's president. So um, I don't know that this version of G.I. Joe would ever get there, um, but as much as I don't want Cobra Commander schmoozing with two gambling civilians, like it's a, it's a little silly. Um, it is a nice contrast from him, like just talking to Mindbender and like worrying about Snake Eyes, which is sort of the like the main two things he's been doing for the last couple of issues. And it is a funny conversation, the about the with with Snake references and puns, and it very nicely sets up. It gives him a reason. The reason why I like it is that I don't actually want him to have this conversation. I want him to be yelling at Destro or freaking out at Dr. Mindbender or like, you know, rubbing his hands together at looking at security footage of, of the Joes because he has them in his sights. But in terms of motivation, it gives him a reason to see all of the Vipers with boxes under their arms running into the lab and then to interrupt one of them. And then he looks over his shoulder and he sees all of the bats looking at him, which is a really good panel. And I, I say this with the utmost respect. I think Shannon Gallant pulls off a great panel for a difficult timeline, but this is definitely one of those panels that I think he was referring to when last, a few weeks ago, I, I think you contacted him and he said, uh, yes, these issues have been drawn uh, rather quickly. That is, this is a panel, uh, this is the bottom of page two, three, four, five, um, there's just enough information in these characters and these background tables and people and slot machines and the wall that you know what it is. But uh, that's definitely a panel that I'm sure the penciler of this book and the inker of this book wanted to put more into and didn't have the time. But it's funny and creepy. And it's a great it's a great beat, right? Why are you all staring at me? <laughs> that the, the, that the, the plot is turning that something is changing. And so one of the things that I like about Hama's G.I. Joe, and I think I sort of discovered this when I, Andrew Wildman, like 10 years ago, maybe longer now, geez, 15 years ago, finally started selling 
some of his art. He'd like not sold his art for a long time and he was not selling covers, but he sold some G.I. Joe like interior pages. And I got a page from, I think his first issue and it's cover commander talking with some, I think Vipers. And when you look at the original art or maybe because you're running a podcast or typing a blog, you sometimes pay attention to a page of G.I. Joe as a discrete unit in and of itself, not part of a larger scene, not part of an issue, not part of a larger story. And what Hama often does that I find really entertaining is a single page makes its own little story. Hmm. And sometimes the final panel is a little funny. And, and this page is a good example, right? On the main floor of the casino. So here's two panels that I, on the surface, don't agree with where Cobra Commander is talking to this guy in a mustache and a, and a V-neck, like, athletic shirt, gambling, right? Like, how are you doing here? Have you tried our free buffet? Are you happy with the service? Like, what? <laughs> but, like, no, you're a, you're a, it's like, it's like Darth Vader wouldn't, you know? It's like Darth Vader shows up at one of the, like, cantinas on, on Tatooine, you know? It's like, we'll conquer this planet soon, but for now, are you enjoying your beverage? It's like, no, no, no. But, hold on, hold if on, you, hold on. <sighs> Have you tried the blue milk? <laughs> Uh, uh, that analogy doesn't work because the Empire doesn't own that bar uh, on that planet. And Cobra uh, Cobra definitely owns Cobra Casino on Cobra Island. But that Cobra Commander has two panels for this patter and then has two panels to not quite panic, but get confused and nervous. And then the final panel at the end where he literally turns, he's looking over his shoulder. But like something's happening in the scene right and i find this page because of that final panel like funny and quite satisfying mm-hmm. and this is where I, this is where i would say uh if if artwork nowadays had the lettering on the artwork itself if it wasn't a separate layer in a computer or somewhere else it would be fun to own this page cuz on a wall in a frame like this isn't a cover and this isn't a splash page and it's not a fight scene it's not a big reveal you know like Snake Eyes hugs Scarlet and one of them is crying or something. But like as a, a representation of something about G.I. Joe that you you would consider not first or second or third, this page is really funny and quite interesting. Hmm. I've actually got an I spy that relates to this page, so should we do it? Yeah, yeah. I spy with my little eye. So there's a line where they're doing the, the the puns with the music. You don't like White Snake? I'll make sure they change up the rotation. Maybe slip in some Cab Calloway like Viper's Drag. Wouldn't mind some Three Dog Night? Uh, excuse me, I have to take care of something. Um, so I don't know if this is completely intentional or not, but presumably, but... You might remember the Funny or Die video, music video, The Ballad of G.I. Joe, mm. uh, which was very nicely done. And there's a lyric in that that says, Cobra Commander loves 70s boogie and he is a fan of Three Dog Night. Cobra Commander loves 70s boogie And he's a big fan of Three Dog Night the loneliest number when he takes over the world the first thing he'll do is 
Make them reunite. Hmm. Well, if I had to guess, I I wouldn't guess that Hama is referring to that video here. Hama is a musician, has seen a lot of music, has made a lot of music, has played with a lot of musicians. And I think he's trying to pick a band or performer that fits with this guy, like baseball cap, mustache guy. But it's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, One more little thing about how much I like this page. In that second panel that you just read from, Cobra Commander is both looking at the guy, but he's also already turning his head away from us toward the back of the room. Mm -hmm. And that's another great, subtle bit of anatomy of 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 acting a drawing i have a i have an i spy if we're doing i spies uh my i spy comes on the second to last page on page 19 uh in panel two jinx who has been in uh civvies seems to be back in her costume Mm. here for the mop up but is holding her weapon and I'm going to I'm going to allow it. Uh, objection, your honor, overruled. I'm going to allow it. I don't mind that she's all of a sudden in her costume cuz I'm trying to They've they've thought was... about this. They've they've prepared for it. So so Dawn up until this point has been wearing a backpack which has got a pointy outy element to it. Mm. And uh then when they're back in the lab with Jinx, there's a panel where uh, she's been given the backpack. It's a top panel of one of the pages dawns in front of a, a tube and, and Jinx has the backpack back on. We cut away and then we're back in yeah. the scene and um, she's obviously taken out her uniform out of the backpack and unfolded yeah. her pointy stick. So I, I like seeing her uh, pointy stick because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't see it much in the Marvel run. No, right? no, no. And we certainly don't see it in the animated movie, her one appearance in in this costume, in animation. And I find it funny. It's like, I don't think this is, I'm sure it showed up once in, you know, in a uh, Ron Wagner issue. I'm not sure. I'm sure if I gave you 10 minutes, you could tell us definitively. But I don't, so I don't think this is the first appearance of this weapon in the Marvel IDW Hama continuity, but I would find it very funny if it was. Yeah, I think it has turned um, up a couple of times in the IDW continuity. Right, okay. At, at, at um, I've got a little I spy in the final pages of this issue. There are two panels where a Joe is tying a Viper's hands mm-hmm. together behind their back with plastic wrist ties, mm-hmm. uh, which is another opportunity for some great acting and body language right because you stand a certain way if your arms are behind you and someone's shackling them Mm -hmm. you you mentioned one of the i spies but i wanted to talk about it for a second a few pages earlier uh when during the fight dawn slashes a techno viper and throwdown slashes a, a 1986 viper there's a lot of blood and i think realistically that is the blood you would see if this happened but i also think Many comics, G.I. Joe and otherwise, have gotten away with, for these kinds of slashes, having no blood mm-hmm. or very little blood. And if G.I. Joe wants to be realistic, we should see the blood and it should be red. If G.I. Joe wants to tone it down, it draws a lot of attention if there is a lot of blood, but then it's brown. Because then this feels like it's the 70s or the 80s and it is a 
comics code authority rule. Like, no exit wounds, and blood can't be red, and no vampires, and uh, <laughs> authority can't be shown as corrupt, and villains have to be punished, mm. right? Like going, going back to the 50s and the beginnings of the comics code authority. Yeah. So Careful how much sweat you show. Um, yeah, I, all right. about. So I, I like this panel, but it sort of sticks out. Mm. Like, and and a couple artists in the IDW run have... Uh, I don't want to say experimented with, but sort of played around with more blood when characters are shot or cut. And that is more realistic, but that's sort of never been this book. Mm. And if, you know, someone at Hasbro is a little anxious about this stuff showing up in the book, or if someone at IDW is a little anxious and it's like, oh, why don't we color that brown? I would go, I would go back a step further mm. and say, let's just not have as much. Not because it's it's sort of always been that way. Like this has never been a gratuitous book. And there might there might be something thematically going on in terms of amping up the stakes and the level of violence from Dawn and and Sean because it, it has been something that we have seen in the last few few issues where they, oh because they, they're freaking out they're kind of freaking out going into berserker mode. Maybe maybe there's something under the surface there. That's that's a good point. I mean, Dawn Dawn does um, tear up mm. uh, three pages later, and as I saw that. I thought of several things at once. I thought, okay, so she's had this emotional beat twice in the last couple of issues where mm-hmm. she's having a hard time and she's talking with Scarlett about it. And uh, I also thought of uh, our uh, co-host, Jay Cordray, for our Devil's Do episodes and how he and I have um, frowned at some female characters in the Devil's Do G.I. Joe tearing up in a way that the male characters don't and how it seems like the the two genders are treated a little uh, unevenly but i think this is earned and even though we sort of assume it's sort of be like every joe's the same age uh you know the way that like every superhero is like i guess 29 like peter parker 29 bruce wayne 29 but no dawn really is younger than the other joe's because she was just in high school and through the magic of a couple issues went by and they said so, she got through the training. So I thought, okay, we we don't see characters cry much in G.I. Joe. This one does feel earned. Mm. My last uh, I Spy was just at the back of the book. Serpentor Resurrected, Cobra's Deadliest Warrior, leads the treacherous march to issue 300. So we do get a use of that Serpentor pinup that... Um, Nitho Diaz drew for the cover of the new Serpentor uh, hardcover, actually within the pages of um, uh, the regular book as well, which is uh, nice to see. Yeah, this is, uh, so Mark's referring to a full page ad, which sits where I would prefer there be a letters page, (laughs) uh, where for the last several months, there has instead been a full page ad for Saturday morning number one. This image has um, interesting color because it is all in red. Uh, all of Serpentor's in red, his chair, I should say throne, and of course the logo behind him. Although there's there's some light sourcing, so there's a lot of rendering going on. There's light red and medium red and dark red. Or maybe I should say less saturated red and more saturated red. And it is interesting that this image is not being used to advertise that hardcover, which is a thing that IDW could sell, mm-hmm. but rather the image is being used to hype the the story that's about to start Whereas you'd think that maybe they would just use like the other cover for the next issue, mm. use cover A for the next issue. But I think I think as the 
as the license is running out of time at IDW, there's there's a little bit of scrambling and hopscotch. So, uh, but yes, it's nice to see this image, which I which I'd only seen uh, in pencil form, I guess, on Diaz's Facebook page and in ink form on a uh, like distributor listing for this hardcover, which what has like issues forty eight through fifty something plus yearbook two from the Marvel run. Mm, yeah, a few sort of um, scattered issues. I think possibly, possibly they didn't have the the, co- the actual cover to of two nine six to to hand because so they've got the variant cover on on the previous page. For yeah, next month, Jamie yeah. by Jamie Sullivan with the with the big Cobra lineup. So the remaining covers for two ninety six are a John Royal Dusty and Outback cover, which doesn't, so it's not really appropriate to, to use as a, you know, coming up in the next, uh, in the next issue kind of thing. And it looks at the, the Gallant cover, uh, which is a throwdown and a, a gaming table. It only appeared on my radar a couple of weeks ago. So, so I think that it probably is only recently been, been completed. So it might have been when they were trying to put the, put the, cover together the gallant cover was not available and, and there wasn't really another story uh story kind of graphic to, that they could use so so possibly that's why they went to, to this one and no bad thing since my since my error detected is going to be about color on the last page i am going to talk for a moment about this cover for the next issue because it is on the right side so uh, i i mentioned earlier in this episode Jay Brown's coloring is um, too busy for me and there's a lot of rendering and there are too many light sources and I find a lot of it muddy. Here's a contrast, right? So on the last page of this issue, you see some some Joes and some Cobras on the left side. And then on the right side, you see this, this cover for the next issue, which has a very different color treatment. That's all I'll say about that. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. My error detected is on the final page of this issue, there is a Night Viper mm-hmm. uh, who's in the negative space between Scarlet's torso and her, her weapon. And the Night Viper is not colored green. He's colored orange like an Alley Viper. Mm-hmm. And there is an Alley Viper three people over on the right. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of get how that happens. But uh, yeah, it is def- definitely a Night Viper. I I had spotted that one. My second error detected was and less of an error and more of an element of story logic. So there's a we called it out before that there's a seems to have been a repeated use of Sean being called Sean on mission within sight of video cameras and potentially robots recording them and, and so on and, and and previously in the in the comics they've talked about we call, you know, Sean's name, code name when we're not on a mission is Throwdown. We're on a mission, we should call him Snake Eyes. And it's very important that, that we always call him Snake Eyes so that Cobra think that Snake Eyes is still alive and a threat and, and so on. So they made a big point of this. But uh, on, the, on the several points through the issue, he was called Sean. Helix says, Sean, you should take points. Scarlet says, trigger the breaching charge, Sean. Dawn says, Sean, I need your sword. And Dawn later says, uh, maybe we need to do right by Sean too, talking about the brainwave scanner. So quite a few specifically within this this issue. And I tried to think about how would you explain it? 
there's a, a few ways of doing it. You know, the least interesting is saying that it's a writer error. So let's uh, skip past that one. Another one could be, you know, in the heat of the moment, the Joes are just making, you know, making it an error and calling him Sean. You know, I don't like to think of the Joes sort of making those sort of errors. So so I want to, you know, would hope mm. that that wasn't the answer too. So I I came up with one thought, which was that my no prize is that Sean the other Joes aren't actually calling him Sean on mission. It's a, a shorthand for the audience uh, to understand that this is not Snake Eyes. This is a, an, another character pretending to be Snake Eyes. So, so they are actually on mission calling him Snake Eyes, but as a as a shorthand, we are seeing them calling him Sean. Sean is actually an acronym: S E A N for. Snake eyes ever as normal. It's a way of saying, <laughs> Cobra, if you're listening, this is definitely snake eyes. As snake normal. eyes ever as normal. It's right here. <laughs> snake eyes. I don't know. It's just normal snake eyes. My no prize is that uh, they're trying to trick Cobra uh, by making Cobra think that they're getting sloppy and they're saying this guy's top secret first name. And then Cobra can start to plan sort of to know to no positive effect. It's like, oh, we, we know Snake Eyes' real name. It's Sean. And that would throw off uh, Cobra because the real Snake Eyes, we never knew his name and he's dead. Mm-hmm. I, I reached out to, to Diana and, and uh, Diana Davis and asked for her thoughts on what this might be. Um, if she's sent me a voicemail, I'll insert it here. Just a G.I. Joe fan After only one man It's the Joe First Sergeant Dude Thank you, man For me, this is uh, more complex And this is just as a reader, okay? So, first off, she's in a firefight She's in a battle And there's all this Going on And Scarlet's perfectly aware that probably only the person directly next to her could possibly hear her in that. Going into the inside of Scarlet, you know, more deeply, Snake Eyes was her lover for many years. And Sean is not Snake Eyes. He looks like Snake Eyes. He acts like Snake Eyes. Sometimes he doesn't talk, but he's not Snake Eyes. And she's going to make pretty clear that this is not the man she loves so much. Sean is also young enough to be her son. And any twinge of romantic intimacy, anything beyond mothering or friendship or camaraderie, probably makes her feel pretty uncomfortable because that's a kid. That's a young boy. Finally, in, in just recent issues, we know Dawn's been telling Snake Eyes that she's got these weird, jealous feelings popping up in about seeing Scarlet with Sean because Snake Eyes is riding around in her noggin. I mean, those are memories and psyche and feeling, but just oh, that's Snake Eyes. He's riding around in there and he's seeing this and he's jealous. And Scarlet's heard that. And so I think this is going to add to that discomfort. Scarlet's going to make very clear aloud for Snake Eyes to see and for her to feel that she is not in love with Sean. She doesn't think Sean is Snake Eyes. And he's Sean, not Snake Eyes. That's just how I'm reading this. Snake Eyes ever as normal. <laughs> Snake Eyes essentially awesome now. <coughs> Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> cool. 
There used to be a pudding that was over-egged. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. At first it was British, but then it was Commonwealth. You know the pudding. You know the pudding. But now there's a new player in town. A comic book writer of, of some renown. He's using real world examples and peppering the issues with with lots of samples. It's a Larry Hammer colloquialism. He's talking G.I. Joe and all its heroism. Can you guess what it is? Is it something new now? Listen as Larry drops a slice of real life on you. Hammer's colloquialisms. I had kind of two, one I'll skip by and, uh, and another proper one. So the Dr. Mindbend refers to Genghis Cobra as a homunculus and um, actually, I've used homunculus as a colloquialism before, back when we were looking at yearbook uh, 2019. Uh, that was with Chief on that, that episode. A homunculus is an artificially made dwarf, supposedly produced in a flask by an alchemist or a diminutive human being. And so the, the typical definition is uh, a sort of a mini-me diminutive type clone rather than uh, just a standard uh, clone or that. But um, yeah, interesting word to use and uh, more interesting than just saying clone. The actual colloquialism I wanted to highlight was was Roadblock saying something ain't kosher in Denmark. That's a modification to the quote, something is rotten in the state of Denmark, which is a line spoken by Marcellus in William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Act one, uh, idiomatic saying something is not right. Quote of the week, 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 quote of the week. My favorite line of dialogue is at the bottom of page one. It's Dr. Mindbender. Oh, vipers and techno vipers, draw your weapons and report to my lab immediately. All specialized vipers report with their full combat load to the staging area in the parking lot and await orders from Crimson Guard Lawyer 343. Because I like all of the vipers, all the different kinds of vipers, and we don't get to see them as much as I'd like, and we don't get to see different combinations of them. And here on page one, I'm promised we're going to see a bunch of them. Excellent. My favorite line of dialogue is typically, for me, a bit of an insult. It is, ooh, um, who is it? It's it's a girl with black hair. <laughs> I'm going to have to navigate to the page. Um, oh it is a girl with black hair who i see now has got a bit of red on her top which means it is jinx she is shouting at mindbender you just step away from that tube baldy that pile of resuscitated dead guy isn't going to be leading anything in the near future let's talk about sfx baby let's talk about pew and scree let's talk about shooting gun things and the sound effects we'll see let's talk about sfx let's talk about sfx and as well as a favorite line of dialogue i have a favorite sound effect now that i've split this in two uh, i have a favorite sound effect and treatment of sound effect on page 12 there's a giant pathoom for the uh, explosion that the Joes set to break into the lab. And I think that's a really great treatment. Mm. I think the visual that Neil Uitake does here, where it's behind the Vipers and Mindbender, but it's in front of the explosion. And then the, the letters themselves are transparent. So you can see the explosion sort of through it. 
uh, and it's it's big, bold, uh, capital letters. Um, I like that a lot, and you know, almost like a you know varsity font. But on the next page, uh, for the for the onomatopoeia quality of it on the third panel, uh, everyone, the sound of roadblock tearing <laughs> tearing a bat's head off is kronk. Uh, which I think, which I think, is both twisting and tearing off. That's that sort of. I think the I think the the first four letters of it, a little bit of that, are, are either the electrical, mm. the electrical crackle, or maybe some pneumatic, you know, some gas leaking out of a tube. And then a punk as he throws it off uh, over the, his his shoulder. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is you know reminds me of one of my favorite jokes. What goes ha ha bonk? What? Someone laughing their head off. <laughs> what? Tim, what goes ha ha punk? What? A casino bat laughing its head off. Hmm. Hmm. Um. What goes? Ha ha. Psh. Kronk. <laughs> psh. Kronk. A casino bat getting its head torn off by a roadblock on Covert Island at night outside. <laughs> in the in the jungle. Cool. So I think that's us done talking about that that issue. Uh, next time on Talking Joe, we will be covering the latest issue of GI Joe, a real American hero which will be 296, which I believe will be the start of the new arc, although continuing this arc, called All In. Let's find out if it actually is called that when it comes out. Uh, It is due out 3rd of August, which is three weeks away from uh, the last issue, this issue that just came out, continuing the almost fortnightly G.I. Joe uh, so look forward to that. Uh, so Tim, where can people find you? My partners and I post video essays at uh, our YouTube page, which is Atomic Abe. My comic book store is Hub Comics, and my GI Joe blog is A Real American Book. dot com. dot com. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and yeah, if they people want to find a wide, wide, wide array of G.I. Joe comics, one of the best places to go is over there in Hub Comics. Um, so you can find the show in all of the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to all of those places. We've got a Facebook group. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We post all episodes as an audio-only podcast but we also stick them on youtube as a video podcast with images flashing up as we talk about them so if you're not subscribed like and subscribe we're also on patreon uh, patreon.com slash talking joe where you can donate as much or as little as you like to support the show and cover all of those subscription costs that keep this thing running so big thanks to backers Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, and Rob, the latest subscriber, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. And that's us done. But oh, we're gonna do oh, sorry. Uh, Yo Joage. Oh, we're so gonna... we <laughs> you missed it out. What did I do? Um, seven. I give this a seven or a six. Okay. I give this a six. It's a it's a good six. It's not a mean six. It's a good six. Fair enough. I'll I'll go in. I'll go uh, in with a six as well. I think we've talked enough about the reasons behind that. Um, but um, hopefully we'll be upping the scores as uh, as we progress over the next few months. Um, so that is us done. But remember that.
Nobody beats Talking Joe, an international podcast. Wow. Energy. Latest.